Chapter Forty Eight of Dombey and Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Chapter Forty Eight: The Flight of Florence. In the wildness of her sorrow, shame, and terror. The forlorn girl hurried through the sunshine of a bright morning, as if it were the darkness of a winter night, wringing her hands and weeping bitterly, insensible to everything but the deep wound in her breast, stunned by the loss of all she loved, left like the sole survivor on a lonely shore from the wreck of a great vessel, she fled without a thought, without a hope, without a purpose, but to fly somewhere, anywhere. The cheerful vista of the long street, burnished by the morning light, the sight of the blue sky and airy clouds, the vigorous freshness of the day, so flushed and rosy, in its conquest of the night, awakened no responsive feeling in her so hurt bosom. Somewhere, anywhere, to hide her head, somewhere, anywhere, for refuge, never more to look upon the place from which she fled. But there were people going to and fro, there were opening shops and servants at the doors of houses, there was the rising clash and roar of the day's struggle. Florence saw surprise and curiosity in the faces flitting past her saw long shadows coming back upon the pavement, and heard voices that were strange to her asking her where she went and what the matter was, and though these frightened her the more at first and made her hurry on the faster, they did her the good service of recalling her in some degree to herself and reminding her of the necessity of greater composure where to go still somewhere anywhere still going on but where she thought of the only other time she had been lost in the wild wilderness of london though not lost as now and went that way to the home of walter's uncle checking her sobs and drying her swollen eyes and endeavouring to calm the agitation of her manner so as to avoid attracting notice, Florence, resolving to keep to the more quiet streets as long as she could, was going on more quietly herself, when a familiar little shadow darted past upon the sunny pavement, stopped short, wheeled about, came close to her, made off again, bounded round and round her, and Diogenes, panting for breath, and yet making the street ring with his glad bark, was at her feet. "'Oh, Di! Oh, dear, true, faithful Di! How did you come here? How could I ever leave you, Di? Who would never leave me?' Florence bent down on the pavement and laid his rough, old, loving, foolish head against her breast, and they got up together and went on together, Di more off the ground than on it, endeavouring to kiss the, his mistress flying, tumbling over and getting up again without the least concern, 
dashing at big dogs in a jocose defiance of his species, terrifying with touches of his nose young housemaids who were cleaning doorsteps, and continually stopping in the midst of a thousand extravagances to look back at Florence and back until all the dogs within hearing answered and all the dogs who could come out came out to stare at him. With this last adherent, Florence hurried away in the advancing morning and the strengthening sunshine to the city. The roar soon grew more loud, the passengers more numerous, the shops more busy, until she was carried onward in a stream of life setting that way and flowing indifferently past marts and mansions, prisons, churches, marketplaces, wealth, poverty, good and evil, like the broad river side by side with it, awakened from its dreams of rushes, willows, and green moss, and rolling on, turbid and troubled, among the works and cares of men, to the deep sea. At length the quarters of the little midshipman arose in view, nearer yet and the little midshipman himself was seen upon his post, intent as ever on his observations. Nearer yet, and the door stood open, inviting her to enter. Florence, who had again quickened her pace as she approached the end of her journey, ran across the road, closely followed by Diogenes, whom the bustle had somewhat confused, ran in and sank upon the threshold of the well-remembered little parlour. The captain, in his glazed hat, was standing over the fire, making his morning's cocoa, with that elegant trifle, his watch, upon the chimney-piece, for easy reference during the progress of the cookery. Hearing a footstep and the rustle of a dress, the captain turned with a palpitating remembrance of the dreadful Mrs. McStinger at the instant when Florence made a motion with her hand toward him, reeled, and fell upon the floor. The captain, pale as Florence, pale in the very knobs upon his face, raised her like a baby and laid her on the same old sofa upon which she had slumbered long ago. "'It's heart's delight,' said the captain, looking intently in her face. "'It's the sweet creature growed a woman!' Captain Cuddle was so respectful of her, and had such a reverence for her in this new character, that he would not have held her in his arms while she was unconscious for a thousand pounds. "'My heart's delight,' said the captain, withdrawing to a little distance, with the greatest alarm and sympathy depicted on his countenance. "'If you can hail Ned Cuddle with a finger, do it.' But Florence did not stir. "'My heart's delight,' said the trembling captain, for the sake of Walter drowned in the briny deep, turn to and haste up something or another, if able. Finding her insensible to this impressive adjuration also, Captain Cuddle snatched from his breakfast-table a basin of cold water and sprinkled some upon her face. Yielding to the urgency of the case, the captain then, using his immense hand with extraordinary gentleness, relieved 
her of her bonnet, moistened her lips and forehead, put back her hair, covered her feet with his own coat, which he pulled off for the purpose, patted her hand, so small in his, that he was struck with wonder when he touched it, and seeing that her eyelids quivered and that her lips began to move, continued these restorative applications with a better heart. Cheerily, said the captain, cheerily, stand by, my pretty one, stand by. There, you're better now. Steady's the word, and steady it is. Keep her so. Drink a little drop of this here, said the captain. There you are. What cheer now, my pretty, what cheer now? At this stage of her recovery, Captain Cuddle, with an imperfect association of a watch with a physician's treatment of a patient, took his own down from the mantel-shelf, and holding it out on his hook, and taking Florence's hand in his, looked steadily from one to the other, as expecting the dial to do something. "'What cheer, my pretty?' said the captain. "'What cheer now?' "'You've done her some good, my lad, I believe,' said the captain under his breath, and throwing an approving glance upon his watch. "'Put you back half an hour every morning, and about another quarter towards the afternoon, and you're a watch as can be equaled by few and excelled by none. What cheer, my lady lass!' "'Captain Cuddle, is it you?' exclaimed Florence, raising herself a little. "'Yes, yes, my lady lass,' said the captain, hastily deciding in his own mind upon the superior elegance of that form of address, as the most courtly he could think of. "'Is Walter's uncle here?' asked Florence. "'Here, pretty?' returned the captain. "'He ain't been here this many a long day. He ain't been heard on since he sheared off after poor Walter. But,' said the captain as a quotation, though lost to sight, to memory dear, and England, home and beauty. "'Do you live here?' asked Florence. "'Yes, my lady lass,' returned the captain. "'Oh, Captain Cuddle!' cried Florence, putting her hands together and speaking wildly. "'Save me! Keep me here! Let no one know where I am! I'll tell you what has happened by and by, when I can. I have no one in the world to go to.' do not send me away send you away my lady lass exclaimed the captain you my heart's delight stay a bit we'll put up this here dead light and take a double turn on the key with these words the captain using his one hand and his hook with the greatest dexterity got out the shutter of the door put it up made it all fast and locked the door itself when he came back to the side of Florence, she took his hand and kissed it. The helplessness of the action, the appeal it made to him, the confidence it expressed, the unspeakable sorrow in her face, the pain of mind she had too plainly suffered and was suffering then, his knowledge of her past history, her present lonely, worn, and unprotected appearance, all so rushed upon the good captain together that he fairly overflowed with compassion and gentleness. "'My lady lass,' said the captain, polishing the bridge of his nose with his arm until it shone like burnished copper, 
don't you say a word to edward cuddle until such times as you finds yourself a-riding smooth and easy which won't be to-day nor yet to-morrow and as to giving of you up or reporting where you are yes verily and by god's help so i won't church catechism make a note on it this the captain said reference and all in one breath and with much solemnity taking off his hat at yes verily and putting it on again when he had quite concluded florence could do but one thing more to thank him and to show him how she trusted in him and she did it clinging to this rough creature as the last asylum of her bleeding heart she laid her head upon his honest shoulder and clasped him round his neck and would have kneeled down to bless him but that he divined her purpose and held her up like a true man steady said the captain steady you're too weak to stand you see my pretty and must lie down here again there there to see the captain lift her on the sofa and cover her with his coat would have been worth a hundred state sights and now said the captain you must take some breakfast lady lass and the dog shall have some too and after that you shall go aloft to old saul gill's room and fall asleep there like an angel captain cuttle patted diogenes when he made allusion to him and diogenes met that overture graciously halfway during the administration of the restoratives he had clearly been in two minds whether to fly at the captain or to offer him his friendship and he had expressed that conflict of feeling by alternate waggings of his tail and displays of his teeth with now and then a growl or so but by this time his doubts were all removed it was plain that he considered the captain one of the most amiable of men and a man whom it was an honour to a dog to know in evidence of these convictions diogenes attended on the captain while he made some tea and toast and showed a lively interest in his housekeeping but it was in vain for the kind captain to make such preparations for florence who sorely tried to do some honour to them but could touch nothing and could only weep and weep again well well said the compassionate captain after turning in my heart's delight you'll get more way upon you now i'll serve out your allowance my lad to diogenes and you shall keep guard on your mistress aloft diogenes however although he had been eyeing his intended breakfast with a watering mouth and glistening eyes instead of falling too ravenously when it was put before him pricked up his ears darted to the shop door and barked there furiously burrowing with his head at the bottom as if he were bent on mining his way out can there be anybody there asked florence in alarm no my lady lass returned the captain who'd stay there without making any noise keep up a good heart pretty it's only people going by but for all that diogenes barked and barked and burrowed and burrowed with pertinacious fury and whenever he stopped to listen appeared to receive some new conviction into his mind for he set to barking and burrowing again a dozen times 
even when he was persuaded to return to his breakfast he came jogging back to it with a very doubtful air and was off again in another paroxysm before touching a morsel if there should be some one out listening and watching whispered florence some one who saw me come who followed me perhaps it ain't the young woman lady lass is it said the captain taken with a bright idea susan said florence shaking her head ah oh, no susan has been gone from me a long time not deserted i hope said the captain don't say that their young woman's run my pretty oh no no cried florence she is one of the truest hearts in the world the captain was greatly relieved by this reply and expressed his satisfaction by taking off his hard-glazed hat and dabbing his head all over with his handkerchief rolled up like a ball observing several times with infinite complacency and with a beaming countenance that he knowed it so you're quiet now are you brother said the captain to diogenes there weren't nobody there my lady lass bless you diogenes was not so sure of that the door still had an attraction for him at intervals and he went snuffing about it and growling to himself unable to forget the subject this incident coupled with the captain's observation of florence's fatigue and faintness decided him to prepare sol gill's chamber as a place of retirement for her immediately he therefore hastily betook himself to the top of the house and made the best arrangement of it that his imagination and his means suggested it was very clean already and the captain being an orderly man and accustomed to make things shipshape converted the bed into a couch by covering it all over with a clean white drapery by a similar contrivance the captain converted the little dressing-table into a species of altar on which he set forth two silver teaspoons a flower-pot a telescope his celebrated watch a pocket-comb and a song-book as a small collection of rarities that made a choice appearance having darkened the window and straightened the pieces of carpet on the floor the captain surveyed these preparations with great delight and descended to the little parlour again to bring florence to her bower nothing would induce the captain to believe that it was possible for florence to walk upstairs if he could have got the idea into his head he would have considered it an outrageous breach of hospitality to allow her to do so florence was too weak to dispute the point and the captain carried her up out of hand laid her down and covered her with a great watch-coat my lady lass said the captain you're as safe here as if you was at the top of st paul's cathedral with the ladder cast off sleep is what you want afore all other things and may you be able to show yourself smart with that there balsam for the still small voice of a wounded mind when there's anything you want my heart's delight as this here humble house or town can offer pass the word to edward cuddle as'll stand off and on outside that door and that there man will vibrate with joy 
the captain concluded by kissing the hand that florence stretched out to him with the chivalry of any old knight-errant and walking on tiptoe out of the room descending to the little parlour captain cuttle after holding a hasty council with himself decided to open the shop door for a few minutes and satisfy himself that now at all events there was no one loitering about it accordingly he set it open and stood upon the threshold keeping a bright lookout and sweeping the whole street with his spectacles how de do captain gills said a voice beside him the captain looking down found that he had been boarded by mr toots while sweeping the horizon how are you my lad replied the captain well i'm pretty well thank ye captain gills said mr toots you know i'm never quite what i could wish to be now i don't expect that i ever shall be any more mr toots never approached any nearer than this to the great theme of his life when in conversation with captain cuttle on account of the agreement between them captain gills said mr toots if i could have the pleasure of a word with you it's rather particular why you see my lad replied the captain leading the way into the parlour i ain't what you may call exactly free this morning and therefore if you can clap on a bit i should take it kindly certainly captain gills replied mr toots who seldom had any notion of the captain's meaning to clap on is exactly what i could wish to do naturally if it be so my lad returned the captain do it the captain was so impressed by the possession of his tremendous secret by the fact of miss dombey being at that moment under his roof while the innocent and unconscious toots sat opposite to him that a perspiration broke out on his forehead and he found it impossible while slowly drying the same glazed hat in hand to keep his eyes off mr toots face mr toots who himself appeared to have some secret reason for being in a nervous state was so unspeakably disconcerted by the captain's stare that after looking at him vacantly for some time in silence and shifting uneasily on his chair he said i beg your pardon captain gills but you don't happen to see anything particular in me do you no my lad returned the captain no because you know said mr toots with a chuckle i know i'm wasting away you needn't at all mind alluding to that i should like it burgess and company have altered my measure i'm in that state of thinness it's a gratification to me i'm i'm glad of it i'd a great deal rather go into a decline if i could i'm a mere brute you know grazing upon the surface of the earth captain gills the more mr toots went on in this way the more the captain was weighed down by his secret and stared at him what with this cause of uneasiness and his desire to get rid of mr toots the captain was in such a scared and strange condition indeed that if he had been in conversation with a ghost he could hardly have evinced greater discomposure but i was going to say captain gills said mr toots 
happening to be this way early this morning to tell you the truth i was coming to breakfast with you as to sleep you know i never sleep now i might be a watchman except that i don't get any pay and he's got nothing on his mind carry on my lad said the captain in an admonitory voice certainly captain gills said mr toots perfectly true happening to be this way early this morning an hour or so ago and finding the door shut what were you waiting there brother demanded the captain not at all captain gills returned mr toots i didn't stop a moment i thought you were out but the person said by the by you don't keep a dog do you captain gills the captain shook his head to be sure said mr toots that's exactly what i said i knew you didn't there is a dog captain gills connected with but excuse me that's forbidden ground the captain stared at mr toots until he seemed to swell to twice his natural size and again the perspiration broke out on the captain's forehead when he thought of diogenes taking it into his head to come down and make a third in the parlour the person said continued mr toots that he had heard a dog barking in the shop which i knew couldn't be and i told him so but he was as positive as if he had seen the dog what person my lad inquired the captain why you see there it is captain gills said mr toots with a perceptible increase in the nervousness of his manner it's not for me to say what may have taken place or what may not have taken place indeed i don't know i get mixed up with all sorts of things that i don't quite understand and i think there's something rather weak in my head in short the captain nodded his own as a mark of assent but the person said as we were walking away continued mr toots that you knew what under existing circumstances might occur he said might very strongly and that if you were requested to prepare yourself you would no doubt come prepared person my lad the captain repeated i don't know what person i'm sure captain gills replied mr toots i haven't the least idea but coming to the door i found him waiting there and he said was i coming back again and i said yes and he said did i know you and i said yes i had the pleasure of your acquaintance you had given me the pleasure of your acquaintance after some persuasion and he said if that was the case would i say to you what i have said about existing circumstances and coming prepared and as soon as ever i saw you would i ask you to step round the corner if it was only for one minute on most important business to mr brogley's the brokers now i tell you what captain gills whatever it is i am convinced it's very important and if you like to step round now i'll wait here till you come back the captain divided between his fear of compromising florence in some way by not going and his horror of leaving mr toots in possession of the house with a chance of finding out the secret was a spectacle of mental disturbance that even mr toots could not be blind to 
but that young gentleman, considering his nautical friend as merely in a state of preparation for the interview he was going to have, was quite satisfied, and did not review his own discreet conduct without chuckles. At length the captain decided, as the lesser of two evils, to run round to Brogley's the brokers, previously locking the door that communicated with the upper part of the house, and putting the key in his pocket. "'If so be,' said the captain to Mr. Toots, with not a little shame and hesitation, "'as you'll excuse my doing it, brother.' "'Captain Gills,' returned Mr. Toots, "'whatever you do is satisfactory to me.' The captain thanked him heartily, and promising to come back in less than five minutes, went out in quest of the person who had entrusted Mr. Toots with this mysterious message. Poor Mr. Toots, left to himself, lay down upon the sofa, little thinking who had reclined there last, and gazing up at the skylight and resigning himself to visions of Miss Dombey, lost all heed of time and place. It was as well that he did so, for although the captain was not gone long, he was gone much longer than he had proposed. When he came back, he was very pale indeed and greatly agitated, and even looked as if he had been shedding tears. He seemed to have lost the faculty of speech until he had been to the cupboard and taken a dram of rum from the case-bottle, when he fetched a deep breath and sat down in a chair with his hand before his face. "'Captain Gills,' said Toots kindly, "'I hope and trust there's nothing wrong.' "'Thank ye, my lad, not a bit,' said the captain, quite contrary. "'You have the appearance of being overcome, Captain Gills,' observed Mr. Toots. "'Why, my lad, I am took aback,' the captain admitted. "'I am.' "'Is there anything I can do, Captain Gills?' inquired Mr. Toots. "'If there is, make use of me.' The captain removed his hand from his face, looked at him with a remarkable expression of pity and tenderness, and took him by the hand and shook it hard. "'No, thank ye,' said the captain. "'Nothing. Only I'll take it as a favour if you'll part company for the present, I believe, brother,' wringing his hand again, "'that after Walter, and on a different model, you're as good a lad as ever stepped.' "'Upon my word and honour, Captain Gills,' returned Mr. Toots, giving the captain's hand a preliminary slap before shaking it again, "'it's delightful to me to possess your good opinion. Thank ye.' "'And bear a hand and cheer up,' said the captain, patting him on the back. "'What? There's more than one street sweet creature in the world.' "'Not to me, Captain Gills,' replied Mr. Toots gravely. "'Not to me, I assure you. The state of my feelings towards Miss Dombey is of that unspeakable description, that my heart is a desert island and she lives in it alone. I'm getting more used up every day and I'm proud to be so. If you could see my legs when I take my boots off, you'd form some idea of what unrequited affection is. I have been prescribed bark, but I don't take it, for I don't wish to have any tone whatever given to my constitution. I'd rather not. This, however, is forbidden ground. Captain Gills, good-bye. 
Captain Cuttle, cordially reciprocating the warmth of Mr. Toot's farewell, locked the door behind him, and shaking his head with the same remarkable expression of pity and tenderness as he had regarded him with before, went up to see if Florence wanted him. There was an entire change in the captain's face as he went upstairs. He wiped his eyes with his handkerchief, and he polished the bridge of his nose with his sleeve, as he had done already that morning, but his face was absolutely changed. Now he might have been thought supremely happy, now he might have been thought sad, but the kind of gravity that sat upon his features was quite new to them, and was as great an improvement to them as if they had undergone some sublimating process. He knocked softly, with his hook, at Florence's door, twice or thrice, but, receiving no answer, ventured first to peek in, and then to enter, emboldened to take the latter step, perhaps by the familiar recognition of Diogenes, who, stretched upon the ground by the side of her couch, wagged his tail and winked his eyes at the captain, without being at the trouble of getting up. She was sleeping heavily, and moaning in her sleep, and Captain Cuddle, with a perfect awe of her youth and beauty, and her sorrow, raised her head and adjusted the coat that covered her, where it had fallen off, and darkened the window a little more that she might sleep on, and crept out again, and took his post of watch upon the stairs, all this with a touch and tread as light as Florence's own. Long may it remain in this mixed world a point not easy of decision, which is the more beautiful evidence of the Almighty's goodness, the delicate fingers that are formed for sensitiveness and sympathy of touch, and made to minister to pain and grief, or the rough, hard, Captain Cuddle hand, that the heart teaches, guides, and softens in a moment. Florence slept upon her couch, forgetful of her homelessness and orphanage, and Captain Cuddle watched upon the stairs. A louder sob or moan than usual brought him sometimes to her door, but by degrees she slept more peacefully, and the captain's watch was undisturbed. End of chapter 48